The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. If you're new to Parkwood today, uh, the way we handle preaching is verse by verse through the book of the Bible. So this is where we come. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, and I'm preaching this series in Galatians intentionally uh, because of what I see happening in the world around us and to prepare you as the people of God and to call those of you who do not yet know Christ to a saving faith in Jesus. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, invite you to stand as I read the word of the Lord. I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Well, I... Am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now, bless the preaching of your word. Help us to work through the confusion of our own minds, the confusion of the age, and that you give clarity to the preaching and to the hearing of your word. In Christ's name, amen. So this is the main idea, the the focus of this message today, the unique and distinct gospel of Jesus Christ must not be abandoned or distorted. The unique and distinct gospel of Jesus Christ must not be abandoned or distorted. Now there are extremes, there are multiple ways that the gospel has been abandoned, there are multiple ways it's been distorted. I just wanna lay two kind of polar opposites and give you two examples this morning as I get started. We'll continue to think about these things as we work through this series. So in my right hand, we'll talk about the right, conservative. So what I got in my right hand represents a conservative view. My left hand represents a left view. So I'll start right here. This I picked up in Boston, Massachusetts uh, about a month ago. This is the seventh annual Drag Gospel Fest. It was Saturday, October the 14th. It was hosted by Sapphira, Crystal, and Misery. And their pictures are there on the back. So this, the gospel of this is you can do whatever you want to do and be whatever you want to be. There's a big word for it. It's called licentiousness. You're free to do whatever. All right. This represents the other side. This is the framework for legalism. That there are certain things that you do, and when you do those things, God is pleased with you. It's a way to salvation through effort. Reading the opening paragraph, this is for ages two to three Sunday school. Quote, tell me how to please God. That's the name of the series will help children see how they can please God by obeying, sharing, and being kind to others. Teachers should emphasize that God especially loves and cares for children and is pleased or displeased by how they act. 
I don't know if you got the subtle message there. I would say it's not even subtle. The message is God approves people who do good things. This is Sunday school material from 1981 in the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, you say, how did that happen? Uh, There's a reason I can explain it to you later how that happened. But, friends, both these extremes happen. Now, hear me. Hear me. This is the more deadly. You look at this and go, that's pretty obvious. This is more deadly. And this is what was going on at Galatia. It was this subtle, seemingly sounding right message. Now, Paul, after a brief introduction that we looked at last week, now comes to verse 6 in what I'm calling the astonishing desertion from the true gospel. Paul would typically at this point in the letter, after identifying himself and who he's writing to, he would say something like, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, or with thanksgiving, I'm grateful for your participation in the gospel until now. They get no such thanksgiving, which, by the way, was the proper way to write a letter at this point in time. There's no such thanksgiving. Paul starts by this way. I am astonished. I'm dumbfounded, he's saying. I'm perplexed. In in absolute amazement, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. This sounds familiar. Moses, as he was on the mountain, face-to-face meeting with God as the God wrote with his very finger on the tablets of stone. Meanwhile, the children of Israel convinced Aaron that they needed an idol to worship, and they collected their gold together and formed a golden calf. And God told Moses he was about to descend down the mountain what was going on. And here's what God said. Listen, quoting Exodus 32, 8, God speaking. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. You hear that same language here in Paul. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him. Yesterday, we rightly in our nation honored our veterans, those who have faithfully served our nation and kept us safe and free. And we are grateful to each man and woman in this place who have served. The term that Paul uses in this text, deserting him, is the exact opposite of a faithful soldier. It signifies or means someone who has transferred their allegiance and a soldier who has deserted the army, who has deserted their country, who has revolted against them. There's a quote. At the beginning of the letter, Paul wanted them to realize that the God who called them out of pagan idolatry to salvation and new life in Jesus Christ did so on no basis than, no other basis than his own good pleasure and grace. To forget this, to forget God's grace, is worse than betraying an army or your country because you are ultimately betraying the true and living God. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting who? Him who called you. He's speaking of the Lord God himself, him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, the word calling here, you've been around church at all, and some of you may not. If you've been around church, 
Usually when people use the word called, or at least this is what they think they hear or what they understand, they're talking about somebody like me, like a pastor. Say, well, he's called of God. The pastors are called to the ministry. This is a, a, a broader terminology here. He's not talking about pastors. He's talking about every follower of Christ that you have been called. This is what is called effectual call or the call that creates life. Paul is referring to the internal effectual call of the Holy Spirit by, where, by which he applies the, the gospel to the heart and life of individuals. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power and the wisdom of God. So let me just describe this as an illustration. As I'm preaching the gospel each and every week, there are people who stumble over it, who think it's ridiculous and stupid. There are people feeling that right now. And then at the same time, maybe on the same road, maybe even beside somebody, the effectual call happens. It's not from me, it's from God. It's the moment when blind eyes are opened that you see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you understand that it is by grace alone that you can be saved. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, a different, quote, good news. And I want to slow down here and try to explain some words because these words are important. The word different is the Greek word heteros. Now, I don't expect you to remember that, but let me tell you why, why it means something. In a belief and what we believe the theology of what we believe as a church, when we believe rightly according to the Bible, it is referred to as orthodox. You ever heard that word? Orthodox, that means believing right. It lines up with the Bible. That's an orthodox belief. The opposite is heterodox. It's to believe the opposite or an apparent view, a wrong view. This is the word he uses here that you are believing something that is heterodox. It literally means this. It is of another nature or a different nature. In other words, they're not even the same. They're not even close to the same. You're turning from the gospel of grace. You're turning from the God of grace, him who called you. Now, as he says this, What's happening among the Galatians, turning, he says, is not yet a hopeless situation. Because this, the, the, the tense of this verb is a continuous present tense. It means that the Galatians were in the process of turning. They hadn't fully embraced, maybe some of them had, but as a congregation, they had not fully embraced what they were hearing from these false teachers. So as a result... What you need to hear Paul doing here is not condemnation. He is appealing to these people. He's astonished with them and he's pleading with them. And he's saying, verse seven, there's not that there is another one. So this different gospel, something is a different nature. You need to know there's not another one. The word another means of the same nature. There is not a gospel other than the gospel of Christ that is salvific, that can save. 
There is not one similar of of another nature or of the same nature. He says, but there are some who, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel, to, to, to change the gospel. The word distort here means to reverse, to, to alter. It's the word used in the text when Jesus turned the water into blood. I mean, the water into wine. So it, it doesn't mean just twist. It means to make it different. So these people want to trouble you and distort to you the gospel. Now, the word, the word trouble means agitate or shake or rattle. Now, we have a beagle at my house. I don't suggest a beagle for a pet. Beagles were invented to uh, chase dog, rabbits, and that's what they're good for. They're not good pets. Uh, now, my kids love the beagle, and that's fine and all that. But the beagle and I have a love-hate relationship in, uh, at home. One of the reasons is her bark. When I come home, particularly when I've been gone for several days, when you come in, this dog lights into the same bark that the beagle uses when they jump a rabbit. It's piercing. It is loud. Normally, I get it. I see, Corey, you bless. Hey, you had something to do with this dog, brother. I remember that. Hey, <laughs> God bless you, Corey. Uh, um, anyway, sorry to pick on Corey. He just got married. Congratulations, brother. This dog, though, will, will, will agitate. If you can't get her shut up, you can't get her stopped, she'll go from agitate to rattle. I mean, you literally cannot hold a coherent thought together after about 15 seconds of this bark. I mean, it's just, we have friends and relatives who come over. We have to hide the dog because they go right to rattled. I mean, they can't even think. You're piercing, hurting their, right. So catch the subtlety here. These false teachers, for some people, were just agitated. So some people saw it for what it was. It was aggravating. They didn't like it. They knew it was wrong and wanted it to stop. But for many at Galatia, it rattled them. They're thinking, is he right? Have I been wrong? Am I missing something here? Is there more to salvation? Is there more that I need to do? The message was this, that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised and you must keep the law. If you don't do those two things, then you cannot be saved. Friends, that's not the gospel. So here's the question. What is the gospel? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So the Bible emphatically answers the question, what is the gospel? And that answers it on every page. Some of it requires using good comprehension skills and logic to, gra- to grasp it. But this is just an emphatic statement here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel. Of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and which you stand and which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's putting forward the gospel which saves. Now here it is, verse three. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died 
What? For our sins. Now look up here. There was no dispute with the Judaizers at Galatia whether Jesus Christ died. None. There's no evidence whatsoever that they were denying what Jesus did on the cross. But the prepositional phrase would have been left out. For our sins. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Christ's death for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, Isaiah 53, which Matt read earlier in the service, the resurrection, which proves that Jesus is God, that he is exactly who he said he was and came to accomplish what he said he came to accomplish. And the resurrection happened according to the scriptures, that Christ, through grace alone, gave himself freely for us for our sins. Nothing is due to our efforts, our merits, our works. Everything in salvation is due to the grace of God. You or I cannot modify or supplement the gospel. If we do, we radically change the character of the gospel and make it into something that it is not. It ceases to be the gospel the moment we modify it or add to it. Now, brief so what before I move on. In a moment, we're going to sing at the end of the service, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Don't you think for a moment, because you've been a Christian many years, or in your part, if you're a member here, a part of a Bible-believing church that teaches the Bible, don't you think for a moment that you're not prone to wonder? And Parkwood, don't you think for a moment that you're not prone to wonder? About 20 years ago, I sat in a pew and a famous dude was here to preach and he waxed and waned. And, but in the middle of his message, he made a heterodox statement. We went out in the lobby and people were going, wasn't that great? And I was like, no. Wasn't anything great about it. Well, what do you mean? I repeated what he said. Oh, <laughs> no, not oh. When you speak contrary to the gospel, you have spoken contrary to the gospel and it is a false gospel at that moment. I don't care how eloquent you are. Which leads me to the next point. The sobering consequences of proclaiming a different gospel. Verses eight and nine indicate that proclaiming another gospel is not a minor defect. Paul is not viewing the other gospel preached by the Judaizers as a trivial departure. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The content of the gospel of Jesus Christ trumps the messenger. I repeat that one more time. The content of the gospel of Jesus Christ trumps the messenger. It trumps his credentials and his charisma. The outward person does not validate the message. The nature of the message validates the messenger. He begins to say, even if we, Paul's saying to me, Paul, 
the team that I'm with, Barnabas, Luke, Silas, any of us, if any of us preach a different gospel, he goes this far, even if an angel from heaven appears and preaches a different gospel, contrary to the one preached to you, not, not that that's Paul's, it's 1 Corinthians 15, one through three, if anyone preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. And what does that mean? What does that word mean, accursed? It means final destruction. It means irrevocable punishment. It means a detestable thing that results in no communion with God. So what Paul's saying here, what these agitators are teaching is not interesting. It's not inconsequential. It's not an option. They are teaching something that is literally leading them to hell. And by implication, if the Galatians, notice if, if they embrace this teaching, then they will be anathema as well. Now, I know this is heavy and this is serious, but let me just give you another brief so what for a moment. Paul's here speaking of a certainty. He, he's, not, he's not speaking of options. He's speaking of a certainty of those who embrace and proclaim a different gospel, anathema. He's also here offering a warning, a warning to those who hear and consider a different gospel. I was in a meeting several years ago. We were discussing worship. We were not discussing the gospel. And I made a comment about sincerity to which Dwight Johnson, who uh, is uh, one of our first elders, one of the elder statesmen of Parkwood, Dwight looked across the table and he said, Jeff, sincerity means nothing. What? He said, you can be sincerely wrong. It's a good word for a 35-year-old young pastor sitting in the room who's been influenced by a postmodern world around him. Because here's what postmodernism says. As long as you're sincere, as long as you're sincere, it's okay. Friends, you can be sincerely wrong. The sincerity test is not what you put on somebody. That's not what you, you're, you're holding to them. What you put on what someone is communicating is the gospel. Does that match with the gospel. Let's proceed to Paul's unwavering conviction for proclaiming the true gospel. <laughs> he says, I love this, for am I now speaking the approval of man or of God? In other words, I just said these Judaizers are going to be anathema and all of you who believe this are going to be anathema and y'all are accusing me of trying to please men. Who says what I just said who tries to please people? Now, I don't try to be controversial for the sake of being controversial, but I regularly get asked, I can't believe, or people say this to me, I can't believe you said that. It happens regularly. You know why you say that to me? Because you live in an age where preachers don't say the truth anymore. Dance around it and say what people want to hear. By the way, the Bible says this will happen. And in the end times, people are going to assemble themselves preachers that say what their tickling ears want to hear. So some of you may say today, maybe you just don't like me because I'm weird and goofy and all that stuff, and that fits. 
But if you're offended today because of the message, I hope to God you're hearing the warning. And you better be careful going out and finding somebody who says what you want to hear. That is a dangerous thing to do. The world is full of people pleasing preachers, both men and women. But what we need, turn over to Acts chapter 5. What we need are men and women, not just preachers, men and women with this kind of conviction. While you're turning, you need to know this. There's a cake decorator from from Denver, Colorado, or Colorado Springs, Colorado, who's going, his case is going before the Supreme Court on your behalf next next June. And that is the right for him as an artist to decorate a cake under his convictions. You're doing that for you as a part of this nation. But here's the question. If he fails and the Supreme Court upholds what Colorado is telling him he has to do, Will he stand for his convictions? Well, he's already answering that question. The question is, will you? When the world tells you what you can and cannot do as a follower of Jesus, what are you going to do? Here's what these men did. When they brought them in and set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here we have filled Jerusalem, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. In other words, we don't answer to you. We answer to God. And we must obey God rather than men. I'll tell you a story briefly about a man. His name's Athanasius. I don't think anybody would be naming their kid Athanasius after this illustration. But Athanasius lived in the third century. You need to be grateful for Athanasius even though you don't know who he is. Because what happened, a controversy sprung up in the church, not just a church, the church, And here was the controversy. Yeah, we believe Jesus died on the cross and we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sin. But people going around saying Jesus is God. Whoa, wait a minute. The Bible's not clear on that. But thanks be unto God that there was a young pastor, a young theologian named Athanasius who wrote and studied tirelessly and communicated to people what the Bible was clearly teaching when you took the whole counsel of God that Jesus is fully God and fully man. On his way to one of the councils, into one of these meetings, a man said to Athanasius as he was walking, Athanasius, it appears that the whole world is against you. To which Athanasius turned and said, then I am against the world. Brothers and sisters, we must stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of the consequences that may be in front of us. Why? Because here's the ultimate so what. Here is what is before us. There is only one true gospel. The unique, distinct gospel of Jesus Christ and it must not be abandoned or distorted. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, both of these texts are speaking to the exclusive nature of the gospel. And I use that word on purpose, exclusive. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
There are two things going on that are affecting you in this room today. Use big words and I'll explain them. The first one's pluralism. Here's what pluralism says. Salvation can be gained through multiple religions. Salvation can be gained any way you choose. Come up with your own. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. I got to respect your truth. Your truth's okay. My truth's okay. We're all going to end up in the same place anyhow. Pluralism. It affects you every day. It affects now not just churches. It affects schools, colleges, the workplace. Pluralism is everywhere. Now let's go from outside to inside the church. This is called inclusivism. Here's what I've discovered over the years. There are a lot of people who've been at this church who believe this. Inclusivism says people are saved through Christ even if they've never heard the gospel. It's not what the Bible teaches, friends. If that was true, then why in the world would we get on an airplane and go tell people the gospel? Now, you may be sitting there thinking this. Here's the big fear. Here's the big fear. Well, that's so unloving. That's so judgmental. If, if, if my sermon right now was on the right internet channel where the right people would listen, I would be called all kinds of things. It's happened here before. There have been people being mad at me and go out there and some guy got in the stairwell one time and just roasted what I was saying in here up, upside one day. Because, because how dare we say something today that is exclusive. I want you to hear me on this. I mean this in the fiber of my being to the core of who I am. Nothing could be more unloving than for you to grant false assurance to those who are perishing in their sin. The most unloving thing you could do to a person who is espousing to you pluralism or inclusivism or whatever other ism you want to come up with, something that is contrary for the gospel is for you to agree with them and to affirm them in what they are saying. The most loving thing you can do is to proclaim to them the gospel of Christ. Why? Why? Because two things are at stake. Two things. Number one, the glory of Christ. The last thing Paul says in the text is, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I were to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, but I am a servant of Christ. My life now is in Christ for the glory of Christ. Friends, when we give in to pluralistic messages and when we affirm them and we remain silent around them, we are affirming something to the detriment of the glory of Jesus Christ. We are defaming him. So I'll say it this way. A bunch of you are going to be mad because some football players are going to do this this afternoon. That bothers me. I think it's insane. But you want to tell me 
going to tell you what is more disturbing, what is more alarming, what ought to bother you much deeper is when you hear someone proclaim a false gospel. They haven't defamed you. They have defamed Jesus Christ, our Lord. Number two, the second thing that is at stake are the souls of men and women. I said it already. Nothing could be more unloving than to grant false assurance to people who are perishing. I'll tell you a story. Right after I graduated from college, I was working in my first church job and I didn't make enough money uh, doing that work, so I had to load trucks at night. It's a great evangelism opportunity. And uh, one of the guys I worked with, I went to high school with, he was just a couple years older than me. And uh, we started talking and sharing again. And his mom found out that I was working in the same location. I guess he told her, I don't know. And she called me one day and said, I want you to come over. I want to talk to you uh, uh, about my son. Well, she knew I was in the ministry. And um, so what, what she wanted me to do was to save her son. Okay, so, and the main thing is she wanted him to stop going to leather and lace. That was a big deal, all right? This is the core issue, all right? So that's the core of the conversation, and I told her I was sharing the gospel with him, and we were talking, and we had a good relationship, and, you know, he wasn't responding yet. Anyway, so we step out on the front porch. I'm leaving. I can still see this as clear as day. She reached up and she put her arm around me. And she said, Jeff, I want to thank you for coming. You know, we're, we're both working to get to the same place. Now, I could have heard the false gospel right there and walked off her front porch like I didn't hear it or I could love her. I chose to love her. And I put my arm around her and I said, I'm not working to get anywhere. And from that moment, she was looking at me like I had a horn coming out of the center of my head. And I proceeded to explain to her the gospel of Christ clearly, specifically, it is by grace alone, not by anything that we do, that we are saved. She never said another word. She may be dead. I don't know. I've never seen her again, but, or I've seen her again, but I uh, haven't seen her in a long time. And she's never spoken to me again. Because what I confronted on her front porch was probably 60 years of religion in the same church of believing something false. And what she believed was never going to save her son. Tony Marita said this, morality will keep you out of jail, but it will not keep you out of hell. And there are a bunch of people in this city, friends. You know it and I know it. There are a bunch of people who think they're good people. 
and they think because they're good people and have done good things, everything's fine. Here's what I know as my heart's beating 100 miles an hour. There are people in this room right now who believe you're good people. And uh, my heart breaks for you how you can sit through what I've just said and still believe it. And still think it. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. He doesn't need your help and he does not want your help. He has accomplished for you what you can never accomplish for yourself, ever. Let's pray. Lord, I plead on behalf of, of men and women in this room who are trusting a false gospel for some, probably for many, it's a self-made or it's a conglomeration of things. Pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would look to Christ and, and believe. And God, I, I pray for the person who's saying, this is so simple. Well, on one level, yes, God, it is simple. It's clear. But the depths and the riches of what you have done and why you have done it are deeper than our minds can comprehend. That you, the God of this universe, would save sinners. You didn't have to, but you did. Christ, you have come. So Lord, I pray for those in this room who desperately need you that they would repent right now, confessing their sin and turn and believe in Christ. And Lord, for those who are believers, I pray to the glory of Christ, they would rejoice in your name and to the glory of Christ, we would go from this place to proclaim this gospel to a world that desperately needs it. I plead this prayer in the name of Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.